Hey, I'm glad to see you today. You know, it's a rainy Sunday and you came. I'm impressed. Look around. These are the people you'll see in heaven right here. These are the ones. <laughs> I want to welcome those worshiping with us online today, too. Glad that you could be here as well. Now, the last few weeks we talked about, a couple of weeks we talked about serving. Last week and this week we were talking about giving. The next two weeks we're going to be talking about study and God's Word and so forth. And the six-week series we're doing on godly habits, okay? Now, real quickly, last week I said something, and, and uh, somebody came up to me after church, and they started telling me, boy, I really agree with what you said. And then they started giving me testimony about it. And I was so impressed. I wanted them to preach today, but, you know, they, they were really, I mean, they were serious about it. And what did we say last week? We said that, that happiness and money don't always go together, right? Well, see, a lot of times we think that if we had more money, we'd, we'd have more happy, right? That's what we think. But, but you've all known people, we've all known people who have resources, but they're not happy people, are they? And you've known people who have nothing, and they're happy people. And I mentioned uh, recently about our daughter going on a mission trip, and people didn't have anything, and they were just happy people. They were glad that you were there. They were glad to be there. They were just happy. And so I did some research, and I have some information to share with you today about that, okay? So I want to share this with you as we get started. And this is, what, this is what these folks are saying. And I'm just going to give you the basic premise, and then I'll go into it a little bit more. The happiness we feel after a particular event or activity diminishes each time we experience that event. And that's known as a phenomenon called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation. But giving to others is the exception to the rule. According to research from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, Associate Professor Ed O'Brien of that school, and also Northwestern University Ph.D. candidate Samantha Kaiserer found this information. She said that participants' happiness does not decline or decline much slower if they repeatedly bestowed gifts on other people, even if it's the same people each time, more so than if gifts are given to them. They, here's what they say. If you want to sustain happiness over time, past research tells us that we need to take a break from what we currently consume and experience something new. Our research reveals that the kind of thing may matter more than we assumed because repeated giving, even in identical ways to identical people, may contain, uh, make you feel relatively fresh and pleasurable the more you do that for others. So here's what they did. This is, this is what they're saying. They did an experiment. And they said, we're going to take these students and we're going to give each one of them $5 a day for five days. Okay? So that's what they did. And then they said, okay, we're randomly going to divide these students up. They, all these students have the same level of happiness. So we're going to divide them up. And to this one group over here, we're going to say, what we want you to do is we want you to take your $5 a day and we want you to spend it on yourself each day, but you have to spend it on the same thing every day, okay? 
Then this other group, they said, we want you to take your $5 a day and we want you to spend it on the same thing every week, but we want you to give it away. You might put it in a tip jar. You might donate it online. Whatever you want to do, that's what we want you to do. Now, they reflected on their spending experience after it was over and their overall happiness at the end of each day. There were 96 participants who participated in this experiment, and it showed a very clear pattern. Participants who started off with the same level of happiness reported that the money they spent on themselves each day, there was a steady decline in their reward of receiving that each day for the five days. In other words, the first day, okay, good, thanks, I got $5. But each day after that, even though they were spending it on themselves, it declined, their happiness declined. But happiness didn't seem to fade at all for those who were giving the money that they had to someone else. Even if they gave it to the same cause every day, by the fifth day, they were still just as excited, just as happy, just as joyful as they had been the first day when they were giving. And it goes on to say this, to truly feed your spirit, remember the secret to living is giving. It's a blessing. Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about the fact that you give to those you love. You give to your family. You give to your friends. You give to God because you love God, and he teaches you to give, and he's a generous God, and he gives. And so we do that. Many people miss the opportunity to realize that their life makes a difference, but it does. Your life matters. So you're not just here to get but you are here to give. And when you do that, you have authenticity and people will want to be with you. When you give back to other people and to the community, you realize what you were made for because God teaches us that we're here to give life away. You may feel the benefits immediately. You become more productive, you become more creative, and you get more energy even when you're tired. That's because life that supports the things that improve the quality of life make a difference to us. So I want to encourage you to do three things. I want to encourage you first to be a planned giver. I want you to plan and not just do something emotionally, spontaneously, but I want you to really think about it, plan it out, make a decision, and do that. Secondly, I want you to consider being a percentage giver. Determine a percentage that you want to give and do that and plan in advance. And third, I want to encourage you to be a priority giver. We need to learn how to plan to give. And then we need to plan to give a percentage. Many of us do that as we begin in life each year. We begin to do that through the church. We plan, we give a percentage, and we make that a priority, and we give it first. So we're so grateful for the local church. Why is that? Because what we're doing is we're investing in the next generation. I talked to a woman this week, and she said, I used to live in Panama City Beach, and we attend the church, and we love the church and love to go there. And she says, now we've moved away. She said, our older child was able to go through the preschool. And we were so thankful that there was a faith-based daycare there for children. And we really appreciated that. Now we've moved. And where we live now, we don't have that opportunity. There's daycare, but there's not faith-based daycare. And that's really what we want for our children and in our lives. 
Well, that's what we want for our children, isn't it? That's what we, we want to teach them. That's why we bring them to church. That's why we bring them to preschool. That's why we put them in classes in Sunday school. That's why we get them involved with the children's ministry and the youth ministry is because we grew up with that or we learned to appreciate it and we want them to know how to appreciate it as well. Now, there's some history behind the word Christian. Christian means Christ-like. It means like Christ. So if we're Christians, we're to be like Christ, okay? But, but here's the thing that I want you to see. A lot of times when we say we are Christians, what that means is that we believe in God. And that's a good thing. We want to believe in God, don't we? But now here's another term that we also use, and that's this. We are Jesus followers, okay? And when we're Jesus followers, that implies something just a little bit different. Because as Jesus followers, we're going to do something. We're going to do what Jesus did. So he says it's not just enough for us to believe. He said we've got to do what we believe. We have to put that into practice. And so Jesus says that we're to personally and emotionally and financially invest where Jesus invests in the world. And the way we do that is through the local church. You cannot be fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ if you're not learning to give to him because he teaches us that's why because he wants us to learn to trust him in this area of our lives you know that's one of the last places we hold out one of the last places where we give in and finally we say lord really i, I just want you to have it all i want you to be in charge i'm not going to try to hang on to anything else i'm going to surrender to you you can be a Christian, you can pray, you can believe in your heart, you can hope to go to heaven when you die. You can believe that Jesus died. But you can't just be a believer without being a follower and do something. So to make it personal, the evidence that we look at, how do I test where my faith really is? It's in what I spend and the way I spend it. What do we put things into? What, what, what are the priorities? Where do we invest? We invest in the things that are important to us, right? And so where does God sit in that whole scheme of things? How important is God to us if we're not investing in Him and His Word? No matter what I say is important, look at how I spend and then you'll know. And Jesus was the master teacher. And he knew this was true for men and women. And so he says this verse, and, and you've heard this before. You've heard this before. And here's what I want to encourage you not to do. I want to encourage you not to just hear this verse again and then just go, oh, yeah, I know that, and just kind of brush it off. But today I want to challenge you to ask God a question. And I want you to ask him to speak to you personally and to ask, answer this question. Lord, what does that verse mean to me? What am I supposed to do with that? How does that apply to me? How can I see evidence of what you're talking about here? And so here's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why he wants us to give, because he wants our heart. He wants our heart. And we give to those things we love. And, and when he's got our heart, we want to give. We want to respond to him. In other words, wherever you put your financial resources, that's where your treasure is. Now, you can't be a Jesus follower and not contribute to him and his work because he calls us all to do that.
And Jesus says, look, it's not just some internal private thing, but it's something that you put into practice and you do. It's a do thing. Now, you don't do this, uh, you know, so you can go to heaven. Okay, Lord, I'm going to give just so I can get a ticket to heaven just to make sure I've got my reservation made. Everything will be cool, right? No, you do it because he's blessed you so, and you're so grateful, and you want to. You want to be a part of his work. The church is the epicenter of what God is doing in the world today, and you want to be a part of that. You don't want to miss that. I know what money and resources mean to you. It means security. It means evidence of who you are and what you have accomplished. But financial resources may be the last holdout, and if you really want to have a breakthrough, that's a place where you can turn to God and see that happen. So we want to move from believe-ship to follow-ship. I'm not just going to think about it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to actually do it. I'm going to put it into practice. And when it finally becomes real for you, that's when you surrender to God in that area of your life. And until your heavenly Father has access to your heart and what that represents, then it's just a game that you play. And if you're not careful, you'll just be a hypocrite. Because what you'll say is, okay, I intend to do that, but you know what? I didn't get that bonus that I thought I was going to get at work. And then um, I lost my job, and then my wife lost her job, and, and then we had this financial upheaval thing happen. And so what do I do? What do you do when that happens? You pray. You may not have prayed before, but you're going to pray now. Lord, help. I'm in trouble. I need a job. My wife needs a job. My kids need a job. My kids need a scholarship. Can you help me? And here's what you're saying. When you do that, you're inviting God to participate in your personal finances. You may never have done it before. You may have thought, well, that's up to me. I take care of that. But now that you need help, you're saying, no, I'm not doing such a good job with it. I need your help. And doesn't that feel a little bit weird that you never talked to him before? Because it's a discipleship thing. It's a fellowship thing. You're making God accessible for your resources then. And when you feel a tug of war in your heart and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit and you know what we're saying is true, that's when you can see a real breakthrough when you begin to do that and experience God. And a part of the problem is that we prefer, now are you ready for this? We prefer intervention over prevention. Now think about that for a minute. Look at the person next to you and say, is that true with you? Go ahead and ask them that right now. <laughs> we prefer intervention over prevention. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We don't take care of our health. We get in bad shape. We go to the doctor, and what do we say? Give me a pill. Give me a shot. I'm not in good health. I want you to intervene in my life and help me. Don't we say that? Yeah, take care of this quickly. Do it now. I've got stuff to do, right? And then what happens is that the doctor says, well, you know, that what you can do, that's so intervention's okay, but really prevention is better. And we say, la, 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 because that sounds like diet and exercise, and we don't want to go there, okay? We want to go with the intervention, not prevention, okay? Amen. Amen. Hey, 
or, or in our marriage. We, we work too much, and we don't see our spouse, and we're not at home like we ought to be, and we don't take care of business there. And then all of a sudden, what happens? We have to have intervention, and we either go or we are made to go to a counselor. And the counselor may do an intervention with us because when we get there, they say, you know, you're not taking care of business. You got to deal with this. And so, you know, and we say, well, just give us a quick fix. No, it doesn't work that way. Or our children, we're working too much. We don't have time. Our children are, are active and busy, but they need us. They need our attention. They need our involvement. And, and we're just getting too tied up. And then what happens is we, we have to have an intervention. We have to have counseling. Or maybe it's financial planning. Maybe it's not practicing sound financial principles. And so we have to go see a debt consolidator or a financial counselor. Or we have to call the church and say, help, help, I need help. I ran, I ran out of a month before I ran out of money here. You know, I'm in trouble. I, I can't do it. Or money before I ran out of month. And so we're looking for help there. And we're looking for intervention. Now, here's what I want you to see. We would rather solve a problem than prevent a problem. Now, that doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. Let me give you an example of that. Would you rather be cured of a disease or avoid the disease altogether? <laughs> okay, you're going to have cancer. Would you rather take it and deal with it and address it, or would you rather skip it? No, you want to avoid it. So why don't we do that with everything else? Why don't we use prevention instead of intervention? Because prevention is better than intervention. Amen? Now, let me tell you something. I told you that for a purpose. Intervention giving is what most Americans do. But I want you to be better than most Americans. Intervention giving is emotional. I see a need and I respond. Prevention giving is actually superior because prevention giving, listen, prevents things. Well, duh. Yeah, but it works that way. It prevents things. And why am I talking to you about that today? Because systematic giving, planned giving is something we do because we're committed to the next generation. We want to be a blessing to them. We want to help them because who did that for us? The previous generation. They provided for us and they blessed us. A great church is where people who love Jesus ensure that the next generation loves Jesus too. And when you give to that kind of church, that is preventative giving. That's why it's superior, because it prevents. Now think about it. What do we want to try to prevent? Well, we'd like to try to prevent divorce and poverty and drug abuse and child abuse and spouse abuse. And so what do we offer? We offer things like celebrate recovery and divorce care and grief share and life groups and discipleship classes and counseling through preventative giving. Let me just say to you, you don't know how much heartbreak has been avoided by your preventative giving that blesses somebody else because you've been so faithful you're blessing someone else and they're grateful for it okay and so what have i taught you to do most people live save give what's left right 
But what have I taught us to do? What do we say? We give, we save, and we live on the rest, right? And that's the difference in the world and the Christian faith. So I want to challenge you to take off your training wheels in giving. I want you to do something extraordinary. I want you to set up recurring giving. I want you to pick a dollar amount, and I want you to start giving on a consistent basis. I want you to do something. Don't procrastinate. Automate, okay? Make it happen. We got stuff to do. We got ministry to take place. We got things to build and places to go. This is about you deciding, you know, Jesus, I want to be in 100% because what I'm talking about is eternal and it makes a difference. And I can tell you that the Bible teaches tithing and I believe in tithing. And when I first went into the ministry and I was 21 years old, back in 1978, I moved to Niceville, Florida, and there was a preacher and a layman in that church who taught me to tithe. They explained it to me. And I listened to what they said. You know why? Because they fed me. I was 21. I was single. And I was hungry. And so if I wasn't at the preacher's house, I was at the layman's house eating. In fact, one time I had interviewed for a job because I was going to go back to school. And I was going to move to another town in Montgomery, Alabama. And so I was eating at this layman's house on Sunday. The whole family was sitting there. They had this little kitchen bar. They had a phone on the wall. And while we were sitting there having lunch, the phone rang. And the man picked it up, and he answered it, and he said, it's for you. And he handed it to me. And what that preacher had done, he wanted to interview me for a job, and he had called the preacher of that church. And the preacher said, if he's not eating in my house, he's eating at that guy's house. You can get him over there. And sure enough, that's where I was, okay? But they taught me about tithing. And so I started doing that. And he says, I want you to follow me with all that you are and all that you have. The church is the epicenter for what God wants to do. It's the greatest investment you can make. You've got to take care of your family, but you can take care of the family of God as well. Don't be average. Don't do like everybody else. Be the exception. Be preventative. And don't just look at intervention, but preventive, prevent, preventative giving. And so what we learn is uh, that God loved us enough to do that for us with no guarantees how we'd respond. And so it's a chance for us to step out and do that. And here's the last thing, and we're going to be through. Okay, you ready? If you don't do that, we will still love you. We will still be right here. We will still do all the things that we've always done to try to help you. Why? Because those who've gone before us did it for us. And they provided a way for us to be blessed so that we might then go ahead and provide a way. Because some of you here today, you're the ones who are doing what I'm talking about. And you're doing it for some of the other people who are sitting here today because they haven't learned to do that. And so I want to tell you a secret. For most of us, we enjoy doing that. Why? Because somebody did it for us. I told you when I first went in the ministry in Niceville, they did that for me, and they blessed me, and what a blessing it was. And then when I went to school, that preacher who hired me in Montgomery, he got me a scholarship to finish college, change my major, study religion and philosophy, go on and become a pastor, and go on to graduate school. And so I love to do that now. I love to help people in need, and I get the opportunity. What a privilege it is to be on the other side of that now because I've been blessed by doing that. And then I've told you about when we went to graduate school. Laurel was in college. I was in seminary, two services on Sunday morning, two services on Sunday night, two Bible studies on Wednesday night. We commuted every day. We were just tired all the time. 
But there were couples there in the church, and they were sweet people, salt-of-the-earth people, and they would walk up to us, and they would shake hands with us at the door. And I, as they were leaving on Sunday morning, one lady, Miss Valinda Bell, she would have money in her hand. And when I shook hands with her, she would pull me up close. She would say, this is from me to thee. And she would give it to us because we were struggling financially to be in graduate school and to make it. We would go out the back door, and there would be all this food out there. And this guy would show up, and he said, Preacher, we brought you all this food. It's a pounding. And I said, what's a pounding? They said, well, you bring a pound of this and a pound of that. You got all this food out here. And I said, well, just beat me to death then. I'll take it. That's great. And so we had all that food. And then there were these couples. They would take us out to eat on Sunday after church. And they loved to do it. And they would take us to really good places to eat. And we were happy to go. And there was this one couple, they didn't have any children. And so they didn't have any grandchildren. They didn't have any family. And so what they would do is they would take us out to eat. And then they would have us go back to their house with them. And they just wanted kids to be there, even if we were surrogates, just to be there on Sunday afternoon. And he would say, sit down in the recliner. Put your feet up. Loosen your tie. He said, here's the newspaper. I'll turn the football game on. I mean, really, he said, take a nap. Do whatever you, because they just wanted us to be there with them. It was like them having their kids over. And they just went out of their way to give and bless us. We had a little general store right there, and I would buy all my gasoline there and pay it off every month. And, and ever so often, you know, twice a month, when I would fill up with gas because I was commuting, the guy who owned the general store, he said, now this one's on me. This one's on me. Because I'd always wait till it was completely empty <laughs> before I filled up, right, just in case. But, you know, they were such a blessing, and it is a blessing. And so when we give and we support, then we're blessing other people. And our Heavenly Father has access to our heart, and that's what He wants to begin with. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful that you teach us what to do. We pray that we'll put it into practice. We'll live by what you say. Now, we won't just think about it, and we won't just talk about it, but we'll actually do it. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of something that is eternal, kingdom work that makes a difference in where people spend eternity. It's a privilege, and we're grateful for it. We all pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,